By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sweet Spot Golf Podcast. We've got a name, Adam. We've got it. I'm. You know what? <laughs> I did a, another poll that you didn't see, and the other one won by a lot. Well, I mean, your audience is more biased because Sweet Spot has the connotation of impact, and you're Mister Impact. So, no, I'm talking about your your version. One oh, partnering one. Sorry, saving par. Saving par. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go with sweet spot. Tell people like why we came up with it. I think it's a bit of a double meaning, but maybe you can explain why we arrived at that name. So obviously very golf themed. I think you can create a nice logo out of it as well. But the main reason is our conversations are going to be exploring the spectrum of an argument. So say we talk about, I don't know, random versus block practice rather than go for this is the right way of doing it, which both John and I don't believe is ever the case. So we're going to find out, is there a sweet spot in that conversation of where we can find that perfect point or, you know, that nice gray area that we talked about last last time so the sweet spots are bigger these days and uh, hopefully our conversations will come to the same conclusions awesome so this episode we're going to be talking about golf myths and there's so many of them um, in so many different parts of the game and i think you know collectively you and i me on practical golf and you on adam young golf are trying to tackle myths and everything we do um, so today we're going to focus on a few specific big myths that I think everyone, including myself, probably when I was a junior golfer, bought into and even 
years ago. I think golfers have just passed down information to one another in a bad game of telephone. That's what I view it as. Information gets passed along over the years and people believe it. So in this episode, we're going to tackle some big ones. Let's just get straight into it. What's what's the first one we're talking about? Hit down on it. Oh, yeah. You got to hit down on I used to tell people, I remember when I was like a teenager, like explaining to people about golf. I'm like, I'm like, you got to hit down on the ball to make it go up. I know it's counterintuitive, but it makes sense. And (laughs) years later, I've come to understand that that's not completely true at all. Well, it's Um, a half truth. Why not? It's a half truth. Exactly. There, I mean, there is some truth into hitting down on the ball if you're speaking about it literally, but um, we're going to kind of get through this one in several different ways and where do you want to start on the loft thing on the golf club and what it's supposed to do yeah i suppose i mean i'll let you take that one the loft idea so i mean golf clubs are designed when you're when you're talking we're going to talk about so we frame this in the context of iron play i would say mm-hmm. your seven iron has a specific loft on it i don't know what it you know it could be 33 i forget what the degrees are but you don't need to manipulate the trajectory of when we say hit down on it we're referring to angle of attack so that's you know the angle at which the golf club is approaching the ball is it coming down on a very steep angle or a very shallow angle and i mentioned in the last episode um me specifically as an iron player i have a almost level angle of attack i don't hit down on it at all and i get the ball up in the air plenty fine because I'm letting the ball interact with the face of the club so that the loft can do the work. So I think there's a few different ways we can go with the hit down on it. But I think the number one thing people should realize is that an iron, whether it's a wedge, seven iron, four iron, whatever, or even your fairway wood or hybrid, you don't need to have a negative angle of attack to make the ball go up. The loft will take care of that. And I think that's probably a good starting point. And, and what are what are your thoughts on, on that from an instructor's perspective? Well, yeah, I mean, the from a physics point of view, the thing that creates the ball going up in the air is the loft. That is eighty percent of the equation. So if you, whether you hit down on it, hit up on it, that ball is going up in the air if you present some loft. Now, when the ball is resting on the ground, especially if it's a very tight lie you're probably going to have to have at least a level angle of attack or slightly downwards. You can get away with slightly upward angle of attacks if your ball is teed up on on the grass. So if you have a, a little buffer of grass between the ball and the turf. But it does become a little bit more difficult to strike it. So there's the half truth, is that you shouldn't be trying. I think this is a key thing here. The key word is trying. Exactly. So when players try to hit down, what happens is usually they dive bomb their body down towards the ground and they try and force their hands down as well. Now, in pro golfers, this is this is a lot to wrap your head around, but I'm going to do dramatic pauses here. With pro golfers, they are actually pulling up through impact. And their hands are working away from the ball through impact. Yes, that club might be traveling on a downward angle of attack, but the hands are doing the opposite thing. That is a lot to grasp in, in a podcast. And and the best way to do it is I've seen a lot of when I first like wrapped my head around this concept when guys like yourself and other instructors posted slow motion videos where like they have the circle around the hands and the club head. And if you're looking at both of them at the same time, 
for a pro golfer and even you know other skilled ball strikers like what you said is you're seeing the club go on a downward trajectory you know right before and during impact but at the same time you're seeing if you're paying attention to the golfer's hands they're actually moving upward and part of the reason we wanted to discuss this like we want to remove that scenario where people are like jamming their hands into the ground like i remember as a as a teenage golfer at the range you know we we talked about winter practice ideas in episode one um about artificial turf not providing the right feedback i i remember just like taking this concept hitting down on it and just like slamming my club into the driving Mm -hmm. range mat thinking i was like accomplishing something great and then i'd get on the golf course and of course my my bad shots would be these chunks because i was interpreting that idea too extreme and i think a lot of other golfers fall into the trap whereas that when they say like oh hit down on it so technically yes the club head is on a downward trajectory but and correct me if I'm wrong here, if your hands are on that downward trajectory too at impact, um, (laughs) then you've got got a problem because um, you're just going to be digging too much. And another point I would bring up is that, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but golfers with higher swing speeds can get away with that more. Um, If you have less, like Sergio Garcia, I think he's like negative eight angle of attack. He's taking these huge beaver pelt, uh, divots on the course if you've got a much slower swing speed um, you can't really afford to get that club going too steep because um, you don't have the speed to kind of like dig through I, i've seen a lot of instructors talk about that where they they feel that you know normal golfers with slower swing speeds um, don't really want that too extreme of a negative angle of attack with their irons i mean do you agree with that at all yeah with a higher swing speed player there's more momentum in the club head so that that club head is going to cut through the turf a little bit more if you're swinging slow and you slam into the ground you might cause a little bit of injury and that is a concern as well when we talk about players trying to hit down on it um it creates a lot of bad things again trying being the operative word there exactly Uh, they dive their bodies down uh it can cause forearm injuries um but the other thing to to your point of speed is that when players do try to hit down on it usually they present less dynamic loft which actually does the opposite of what they're trying to do right they're trying to get the ball go up in the air but when they're de-lofting it exactly and if you have 120 mile an hour swing speed you can get away with that because the peak height of the ball is going to be higher but if you're a a 60 year old non-athletic person who has just has no swing speed then that ball it's going to come out like an exocet missile so it's going to come out really low so yeah hitting down on it is is really bad it can also reduce speed now this is um quite tough to get across in in a podcast but when we pull up on the club so there's there's another instructor who used the term rip the grip off the club and that's what pros are effectively doing at impact. So just prior to impact and as they get to impact, they're pulling up on the club as if they're trying to pull the grip off it. So it's completely the opposite to um, to trying to hit down on it. And that actually causes something called parametric acceleration. So it can cause that club head to accelerate and, and add a little bit more speed. And it does a ton of other good stuff as well. It increases compression because it reduces spin loft. So, uh, yeah, there are loads of bad things that can happen from trying to hit down and lots of good things that can happen from trying to pull up through impact. But the key here is the body or the hands are pulling up through impact 
However, the low point of the swing is in front of the ball. So that's how we get our negative angle attack. Because I know a lot of listeners will be saying, well, you just said a minute ago, we've got to have a negative angle of attack. And it's like, well, yes, you do. And you achieve that by having the lowest point of the swing circle in front of the ball as your hands are working up. And that's really referring to that, you know, if you watched a very slow motion video of a pro golfer at impact, like let's say from the side, you're almost always going to see the club interacting with the ball and then the turf. Mm -hmm. Um, So the arc of their swing of, of the club head coming down its lowest point will be in front of the golf ball usually. And that's what pros are exceptional at um, is low point control. If you went to a driving range after they're done hitting, you're going to see all these like very neatly arranged divots. Whereas if you watched a recreational golfer on a a grass driving range, when they're done, um, it's going to probably look like a child went crazy with a shovel. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that, that, that's a hard concept to get across in a podcast. But again, we're, we're trying to, I think the whole point, what we're trying to avoid people doing is that you don't want to consciously feel like you're hitting down on that ball too much yeah. because all of these things, your angle of attack might get too extreme. Your low point control might shift maybe behind the ball where you're making contact with the turf first. There's a lot of bad things that can happen if you're going in with the intention of just trying to smash that club down on the ball. Because as I opened it up with, you don't need to. Um, The golf club is designed to get the ball up into the air on its own. So if let the club do the work. All right, the next one, head down. Do you want to start with Uh, that? This is the one, the head down issue that I think is... If I had to come up with the one myth that I have talked about too much in my golf life, um, witnessed on the course too much, is this idea of like, oh, you didn't keep your head down on that shot you pulled up, or like you have to keep it still, meaning it doesn't move up and down, or it can't, like you have to keep your eye on the ball during impact and afterwards. Like there's this idea that your head has to remain still in the golf swing. Why do you think that myth came about? I honestly, like, I don't know. Maybe watching golfers on TV and seeing what they were doing. I mean, I've I've seen, you know, some players, like, yes, if you still frame them at impact, like, some of them are actually, like, looking at the ball. But, you know, someone like me, if I watch myself on video, it's my right shoulder coming through that picks my head up. So it's, like, happening all at the same time. But I don't consciously think about keeping my head still while I swing a golf club. It's just not not a swing well, that's, that I have. That's but. the interesting thing there. Again, it comes back to that word of trying. When you when you look at professionals, they often will keep their head down in, in both regards. So head up could be referring to raising the head up. So that head, imagine a, a ceiling above your head and kind of smashing up through that. Or it could be the rotational aspect, you know, your, your eyes following the ball. Um, and there are some players who actually do that so Sorenstam, Annika Sorenstam, Dustin Johnson, Henrik Stenson they all kind of rotate and their eyes follow the the ball towards the target and there are players who move up vertically as well Tiger does um, Jordan Spieth does I shouldn't probably talk about him anymore uh, but uh, McElroy does <laughs> as well so there's still good players who do it there are lots of good players who, who kind of work up through impact so but there are also lots of players who stay down I mean you have Jason Day actually drops down 
down. You have Justin Thomas drops down a little bit through impact as well. Victor Hovland drops down a little bit through impact. So there are players who raise up, there are players who drop down. But the main point is none of them are trying to keep their head down. And that's where it kind of kills amateur golfers. So when when you tell a golfer, or say I tell a 100 amateur golfers, try to keep your head down. What happens is it can limit the upward movement of the hands that we talked about earlier. So the hand path can get a little bit too horizontal, which can hurt strike quality, things like that. But it also limits rotation of the body. When you tell a player to keep their head down, they automatically stall out their pivot in most cases. Then, And that's like exactly what like I keep thinking about when, when we talk about intent is the, is the stalling of the body. Continue. Ex- I don't want to exactly, interrupt. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, and the hands will flip over as a result. So, you know, all the scooping. And, and when your pivot stalls as well, that left arm is going to bend excessively, which might not be an issue, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. And when the chest stops its pivot, when the chest stops rotation, you can lose a lot of speed for obvious reasons and non-obvious reasons. But the low point will also tend to move behind so lots of fat shots and thin shots can happen so there are lots of bad things that can happen by trying the keyword being trying again to uh, to keep your head down or stop head movement and i see it all the time with guys you see these horrible chest stally actions where everything the hands and arms overtake and become a mess after impact and i actually have more success i don't always do this with players but i have more success with telling a player to keep that chest rotating open to even even get their head to turn towards a target so i call it the annika sorenstam drill and get a player to, from the top, try and rotate their head towards the target. And that tends to encourage a lot of chest rotation. Again, I don't do that with everybody, but if someone has a horrible pivot, that can be an excellent drill to unlock a new feeling for them. And even on the vertical aspect, I tell more players to, the analogy I use is imagine there's a glass ceiling above your head and through impact, I want you to smash up through it. Now, they might not do that. Their head might not actually raise up that much, but that's the feeling I want them to have. Because when we look at the biomechanics, uh, often you will see different head movements. Some go up, some go down. But when you look at the sternum, in most of the really good players, with an iron especially, that sternum will be raising up through impact. And so that's the kind of good movement that I want in players. Yeah, and and I think... What we're trying to say here is similar to our original point with the hitting down on it. So with hitting down on it, we we were talking about intent. We didn't want golfers necessarily going into their swings thinking, oh, I'm going to hit down on this because we don't want that club slamming into the ground. And with the head thing, keeping your head still, you know, you mentioned chest rotation, and that's really one of the main things that like I think about in my swing is like, I got to keep things going. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep momentum through the ball. Like I've seen so many, um, a buddy of mine sent me a picture of his swing a few months ago and he does exactly what you were talking about where somewhere around the downswing, the chest stops rotating and then all of a sudden he loses momentum and his hands get behind the ball. And that really results in a very common swing flaw amongst golfers where they're adding loft 
um, their hands are behind the ball at impact and they're hitting kind of like these weak high shots and they really can't control which direction the golf ball is going because as you mentioned the pivot the rotation of the golf swing stalls out and not it, I don't think it's always caused by this head thing, but that could be one of the reasons. If you're thinking about keeping your head still, well, then your body's stopping at impact. You're thinking about like not moving, and that that's a horrible thing. And, and for me personally, like I think about that a lot in finesse wedge shots. And when I say finesse wedge shots, I'm talking about anything that's less than a full swing. So if I'm hitting like a 80 yard or 50 yard or 30 yard wedge shot. I used to have a horrible problem where my body would just stall out and my hands and arms would take over and I would fat it, I would thin it. And I think one of the great um, thoughts to have, particularly a wedge player, even full swing, is that I have to think about my chest rotating and, and my hips as well and just keep rotating through the ball. I know if my chest stops moving with wedge shots, really bad things are going to happen. Um, so I, I don't think about this head thing while I swing, because if I'm thinking about keeping my eyes on the ball forever, um, I don't want to stop that chest from rotating. So that would be, I think, maybe the main caution we're trying to make here with this, like, oh, you, you picked up too early, you didn't keep your head still. Like, no, you don't necessarily have to do that, because if you take a still image of Annika Sorenstam or David Duval or plenty of other golfers now at Impact, their head's looking down the line. They're not even looking at the ball. Like their head's gone already. Um, and not everyone does it that way, but it's just not a necess- You don't have to keep your head still to be a great ball striker. Um, you probably have more to lose from it if you're focusing on it too much. Well, it, usually it's given to people as an advice when they, they hit a bad shot. I mean, some, some yes. bad shots might be slicing it or topping it. And it can work right <laughs> because say you g- i mean any anything could work yeah. i mean there's there's just been years of misinformation amongst golfers that you know eventually like a broken clock you know what's the saying a broken clock tells the right time twice a day or whatever the hell it is like you can give someone the wrong information and get good results out of it but that doesn't mean that most golfers should listen to it well, i give the analogy of having a, a nice rolex watch and the battery dies on it and then you slam it against the table to get it starting again it can work but that's not the way to get that rolex watch doing uh, doing better so you know say you take an amateur who is topping it and you tell them force your head down keep your head down that might actually drop the arc depth so they hit a functional shot but then it ruins the other things like we we talked about you've ruined speed it ruins the pivot it can ruin low points so it might improve one thing momentarily but make uh, make a lot of other things bad there's another thing i was thinking about when you you're talking about amateurs is lots of players may use the that pivot stall to help them so if you imagine an amateur who has a very open uh, club face angle during a downswing well if they had to stall that pivot through impact and then fling the hands and let the hands overtake that actually closes the face so it might help someone fix their slice however again it's like hitting your rolex watch against the table it closes that face but it does so in a way that's not very good because there's a high amount of um, closure with that face which there's a lot of debate on that but it as i said it, it can change the low point position make it more behind the ball you talked about how it can add spin loft so you you talked about high weaker shots and that's true so often we can get a good result but in a really bad way and then 
you know, if you get that amateur who's topping it and slicing it and you tell them keep their head down and all of a sudden they hit this shot that goes up in the air and straight, that player is going to be locked onto that head down advice for life now. And then they're going to be stuck into some real bad habits with it. Yeah, I just I don't think it's a again, it, it's thrown out way too many times as the reason for bad shots. And, and there's plenty. I mean, there's literally endless permutations in the golf swing we can go on forever but i think our main point is here it's like it's likely not what your head is doing like don't go in with the intention of keeping your head dramatically still during your golf swing i think it's most of the time um you'd be slamming that rolex into the into the the table and breaking it so it's just not a great idea as this panacea for your golf uh, problems. Um, so let's move on to the next one. You know, we're talking about intention and and myths. So what's what's another big one for you in the golf swing? Again, all tying tying together, um, forcing the left arm to be straight through impact. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire. So it's a great place to get help. Now, here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour-level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonder Lux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. Yeah, what is that? I, I mean, I've heard people say that over the years. Again, it's not something I ever thought about in my golf swing. Like, again, I, if, if I was actively trying to keep my left arm straight, that would be like a feeling of stiffness almost. Like, I don't 
I don't want to think about that, but I, I guess, you know, these things keep getting passed around. So what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously you probably can hit great golf shots with a left arm straight or not straight. So w- what have you seen? Well, I actually struggled in air quotes with this for many years to the point that one day I was, I was just said, screw it. I'm going to really force my left arm straight. And I worked on video and it kept bending. It kept bending every single shot. And I just forced it more and more and more. I then experienced six months of tennis elbow in my left arm. Now I know why that was a horrible thing to be working on. Luckily, that was really early in my career. So I got over it. But The left arm, again, in many good players, the left arm is poker straight. You look at Tiger Woods at impact, it's very, very straight. Uh, It's certainly in some swings, is some of his earlier swings. But you look at a hell of a lot of other professionals and it's not. You have Calvin Pete, the straightest player ever to have played the game, I believe. Maybe maybe Mo Norman was straighter. But this guy had, I think he had 10 years in a row at the top of the driving accuracy leaderboard. He was regularly hitting 80% fairways. And he actually had a forced bent arm because he broke his left arm falling out of a tree when he was younger. So his, his arm was locked into a bent position and yet he was really straight. You have guys like Retief Goosen, probably one of the best ball strikers I've ever seen live. Louis Oosthuizen, Lee Westwood, they all bend their arms significantly or they have a bent arm at impact. Jamie Sadlowski, the longest player pound for pound ever to have lived, I think. Uh, he can hit, you know, 150 mile an hour swing speed and I think he was 160 pounds. And so when people say, oh yeah, well you can't have a bent left arm if you want to create power, well that Sadlowski blows that out of the water. He bends his arm a hell of a lot through impact. And so I think this came about because, as I said, you can look at a lot of professionals and some of them do have a straight left arm. And some of them who look like they have a straight left arm impact, it's actually a 2D illusion. If you look at them at impact from a different angle, usually from, say, down the line, imagine that a player's hitting the ball straight towards the camera, you'd actually see more of a bend to their arm because the you know left arm bend is a three-dimensional thing. And so we see this now with all the, the modern technology. I have Gears 3D, which is a, an amazing device that shows you all of the angles of the body and arms. And you can see with professionals, lots of them, almost everyone has some bend to their left arm through impact. But here's a big thing, again, coming back to that word intent or trying. Even if a pro has a straight left arm impact... It's not because they're trying to straighten it. Yeah, is it. It's just a byproduct of something else in their golf swing. It is. Correct? They, at impact, there is a game of tug of war going on. Okay, so as you swing that club around your body and it, as it approaches impact and speeds up, that club effectively weighs over 100 pounds. And with some of the top pros, when the, the speeds they're swinging, it can weigh as much as 150 pounds effectively. Obviously, the club stays the same weight. But as you move an object faster, it produces more force uh, on you or needs more force. And and so, sorry, <laughs> I'm exposing my lack of physics knowledge there, but you get, I'm sure well, you're don't, we don't We don't have to go, <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go I'll defer that to a physics professor, here. but you get the idea. That club moving faster requires more force to change direction. Um, and so at impact, there's a game of tug of war going on. Now the player, the professional is pulling up away from the golf ball. 
very, very hard with their body, with their lead shoulder and with their hands. And the club is is has a force the opposite way. And so that straightens the lead arm. So imagine a game of tug of war where I'm down on the ground and I've I've got hold of the club head and I'm pulling it away from you. And I'm saying, I want you to pull as hard as you can away from me, away from the golf ball. And so that game of tug of war, that is what straightens the lead arm. So it's a pulling action, not a pushing action. Most people try and push their lead arm straighter rather than pulling it straight. And so they do. It does very different things. If you try and push that lead arm straight, you know, forcing the hands down, as we've talked about, or trying to force that lead arm straight, that is going to, um, number one, it, as you talked about, it's going to create a lot of tension. That can create a, uh, some injury with the left forearm, as I found out with my tennis elbow. It can avoid or, or prevent the hands from working up. And, and in itself, the intention of keeping or forcing that left arm straight can, again, ruin the pivot of the body. Intention in the golf swing is incredibly important. And I think Hopefully what we can do with with this conversation is with these myths being out there, the hitting down on it, the head down, left arm straight, um, when you go in with that intention, it can create a problem. Whereas when you're seeing it as an end result with certain pro golfers, like, yes, we know pro golfers hit down on it, but then you're talking about, well, they're actually pulling up with that on their hands Mm -hmm. at the same time. So these are all byproducts. I mean, obviously they're, they're, swinging in an optimal way but the end result you know the golf swing is very complicated and there's all these types of matchups and when you isolate one thing and try and copy that and that's your intent then i think you're you've kind of lost a lot and that's what a lot of golfers do and have been led to do because let's face it like the golf industry has fed that to them for decades you know how many magazine covers have had the the five tips to this success or that and they're taking these complex topics and putting them into 300 word articles with some photos and it's no wonder why you know regular recreational golfers are left frustrated when they try and focus on these things because um, it's just most likely going to be the wrong thing to think about in your swing or the wrong intent or in many cases it's completely opposite of what's actually happening in terms of forces yeah. so you can look <laughs> well, we've at come to find that out yeah. yeah so i mean the analogy i would use is that game of tug of war right and you, you've got two teams well the losing team is going to be moving forwards right because they're getting pulled forward <laughs> so someone looking at that from a movement point of view would say oh look that team is trying to move forwards but in reality, when you look at the kinetics, the forces going on, no, that team is trying to move backwards. They're just losing the game of tug of war. And that goes a lot into what we've talked about. Even if, if you go back to the head down thing, you could look at someone like Hovland, Victor Hovland, and say, well, his head drops through impact. And then someone could go out and try and copy that and absolutely ruin everything because that player, the reason why his head drops is because he's he's pulling up so hard on the club and his head is off center to that. So that forces the head to drop in response. Yeah, and it and it's something that he's and it's he's probably not even thinking about it. Like yesterday, I don't video my swing that often, but I texted you a video of my swing. And I didn't, I didn't even know this. I just checked on it. I'm like, there is some vertical movement 
I mean, you saw it from the top of my swing through impact, like my head is dropping. And to be honest, I had no idea it was happening. I mean, you, you obviously as a swing instructor understand why I'm making that move, but it's not something I'm consciously thinking about as a ball striker. It just kind of happens. Well, it's because you're an athlete and you're trying to pressure the ground, try, try and not being the operative word there. It's an unconscious thing for you. I mean, we would do this in anything. If you throw a ball or, or hit someone uh, you're going to pressure that lead foot first because that's the best way of, of creating speed and so when you look at all these athletes tiger woods rory mackerel i mean i could you could pick anyone they all have a little squat in transition because they're trying to press into that ground and their brains know that that's the best way to do it and that squat actually sets up a lot of other good things as well it sets up the low point being deeper being more forwards and so on the top of keep your head perfectly still, well, no, Tiger Woods dropped his head probably about six inches. McElroy is very similar as well. And then they spring up through impact. And again, it's not a conscious thing for them. But if you were to tell them to try and limit their head movement, that might actually create some, some bad things in their swing and lose some of their athleticism. All right, well, let's keep moving on. I, can I just do another one real quick? I mentioned it in our first episode on winter practice, but okay. the the swing smooth one like drives me absolutely crazy. And I'm not going to go over the whole thing again. If you if you, I hope you'd like to listen to our first episode on winter practice where I talked about swing tempo. But mm-hmm. there's just this other thing out there where golfers are like, oh, you got to swing smooth. And, and and again, if that's their intention, because we spoke about Ernie Els and Fred Couples who looked like they were swinging. Smooth smooth but they were swinging 115 to 120 miles an hour like incredibly powerful golfers um and then when we talk about intent the recreational player says oh i want to swing smooth too and what that results in is this like incredibly slow backswing it's controlled the club's doing all these weird things so that swing smooth thing kind of drives me crazy now because i still see it on the golf course where People are trying to like actively manipulate the club and create this like slow controlled movement and they're just they're sacrificing swing speed, I believe. Um, and they're also sacrificing mechanics. And I won't get into the whole swing tempo thing again, but you know, I'll put a link to the article I wrote on it and training with the beats. But um, the swing smooth thing, it just it's a again, it's a very generic thing to talk about in the golf swing, and there's no like it's like okay swing smooth like what does that even mean so i think that's another one that needs to be kind of thrown out for a number of reasons yeah i don't swing smooth <laughs> i swing when people ask me how, how fast do you swing i'm like well i'm probably going up 90 to 95 percent of you know my my max what i feel but then i'm not a good model for that because i don't actually hit the ball that far but um you know, you look at the top players and they're, they're going after it. I mean, you look at Bryson now as well. You can't swing it 125 mile an hour if you're not going after it to some extent. I think, you know, where that speed comes is important as well, or the feeling of the, the timing of it. That, that's why I like that sonic golf thing, which sounds like a, uh, a lightsaber. So, vroom, vroom. That's that's the kind of feeling I like. Uh, even with that, you can speed up your tempo more than that now. And people are finding, you know, with the Sasha McKenzie research, if you put a little bit more energy into that backswing, that can actually change a lot of the downswing speed as well. That's what I'm more focused on lately is trying to 
I guess you can call it apply more force, but get faster or quicken up my backswing. And that's helped my swing a lot. So, um, again, we're not trying to say that every single golfer out there has to do the same thing. But when we talk about myths, um, I'd put swing smooth right up there as one that creates an intent that, um, for a lot of golfers out there, that's not going to lead them to their, their most optimal swing. Um, so let's just end it there. Like I don't like swing smooth. What, what's another one you've got on your list? You got any more here? Yeah, I put a, a foot, keep your foot on the ground, keep your lead foot on the ground as uh, one of them. Yeah, that that's kind of, I think that's becoming, well, it's becoming kind of like popular again to lift that lead foot if you're looking Ooh, you're for more talking power. About, you're talking about backswing. I was talking about through impact, but we can go both oh, ways. Oh, yeah. Want. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's both ways you can go on that. Why don't you start with what you were going to talk about? Well, I... For me, and this was something that I used to do as a junior, and I got taught out of it. So my lead foot through impact used to kind of float. And you know, everybody says, well, you've got to keep your lead foot on the ground without saying why. I mean, there could be a logical reason why right? if that lead foot is on the ground, you're going to be more consistent. But that's kind of where that argument stops. There's no reasoning behind why that would be the case. And the reason why someone's foot would float off the ground is because, as I said earlier, when we pressure the ground, and we do this in all athletic endeavors, when we pressure that lead foot, if you pressure it hard enough, you can actually create a jump. And this is interesting. If you look at all the long drive champions, so just get a YouTube clip, type in world long drive champion, and look at their slow motion swings, and you'll see every single one of them, their foot comes up off the ground through impact. Now, this isn't to say go out and try and lift your foot up off the ground. The foot coming off is a reaction right patrick reed right he won the other day and his i don't know whether he still does it i haven't analyzed his swing recently but i know he was famous for his lead foot actually moving backwards through impact and again many people i say even instructors 10 years ago would go and try and change that and it is my opinion that that should not be changed because that is a byproduct, a result of something else that's happened in the swing. In many cases, it's a, a byproduct of good things. Um, in Bubba Watson's case, you know, his foot jumps up off the ground. It's a byproduct of very good things. Even McElroy, I think his foot floats a little bit. Yeah, when, I mean, look at Justin Thomas's feet at impact. I mean, he's like, looks like he's literally jumping. Exactly, yeah. And there's actually, there's an interesting story. I think it was um, Claude Harmon, so Butch Harmonson, who um, talked about working with Ernie Els. I could be wrong with who it is, but his, Ernie Els' foot used to float. You know, one of the best ball strikers in the world. And they spent like an hour trying to hold his foot down. Physically, he'd have his hands on it, trying to hold the foot down, and the ball was flying everywhere. <laughs> so in the end, he just gave up. And now we know more about why that foot floats. You know, it's that ground pressure creating a reaction, which creates that foot to come up off the ground. And so it's not a bad thing necessarily so hopefully i mean many of our listeners will have juniors will have sons and daughters who are playing the game and you will probably see that foot jump up in the air a little bit they'll be up on their toes the foot might even be floating do not change it please do not change it let it continue if you change it you'll probably ruin 10 or 20 things in their swing and you ruin their athleticism yeah. So the, so talk about, you know, we're talking, this is really turning into a conversation about intent in the golf swing. So you would say that if you have an intent with that left foot, 
you know, what are you trying to avoid? Oh, yeah. Just trying to pick the left foot up is not going to do anything. <laughs> that's, again, yeah. that's copying the pros, right? You're not getting the forces. But the exactly. opposite end of the spectrum is true as well. If someone's foot is raising um, in the in the follow through and in, in the impact area, don't try to fix it because it's a result of good things. But, um, yeah, the intent might be pushing into the ground more at certain points in the swing if you wanted to go that route. I, I generally don't teach that way. You know, I might use things like stepping drills instead um, but usually when you ask a player to intend to swing faster and faster and faster so say I just put my GC quad up and I just put the swing speed number up and I get them to hit a foam ball or even a balloon and I say just get that number up that swing speed number up usually you'll see some of these things you'll see that foot start to raise and become a little bit um, you know more floaty through impact also on the that what I was mentioning when we first spoke about this is something that I'm realizing in my own swing when I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm doing some speed training myself is in, in the backswing or the transition, mm. picking up the left foot a little bit to generate more speed. Like I'm finding that when I'm using like the super speed sticks and I'm going all out when I'm like almost rotating more with my body to generate more speed, like I can't help but pick up my left foot a little bit in my backswing and transition to generate that speed and that turn. And you, you're starting to see a little more of that. I think, you know, you would know more about the trends in the golf swing, but I think a lot more people picked up their lead foot decades ago and it was kind of went away for a long time. And I think you're seeing that back again with like the really long hitters, like they're picking up that lead foot a bit well, you got, to generate more speed. You've got Brandel Chambly's book. I think he's done a great job of, of showing, you know, the history and you've got guys like Jack Nicholas, Sam Sneed, Bobby yeah, Jones, all, yeah. all the guys pretty much pre, I, I don't know when it first started. I would imagine it's kind of Hogan. Maybe Hogan kept his foot on the ground first because he was very analytical. And maybe because he was such a good player, he started that trend. And then I saw a Mac O'Grady video recently where he was talking about keeping that foot on the ground. So then these things start to come about and no one really questions it. And it, it can be a big power killer because, number one, it can um, it can stop some of that ground force or it can limit some of that ground force. Uh, number two, it can create a bit more injury or or at least in theory i don't want to say it's going to create injury but when you allow that left foot to to lift up off the ground in the backswing it can allow a little bit more freer hip rotation that's how that's what i felt like if i wanted to you know if you think if you watch like someone like dustin johnson and what his shoulders do in his backswing like how how much they rotate like if you're looking at his his left shoulder and how far it like turns you know, when I'm trying to make that move and turn even more, like, I feel like if I keep my foot on the ground, yeah, I, I could potentially, like, pull something. Like, I need to almost, like, lift up a little bit to allow my body to... T- I'm not nearly as flexible as DJ, of course, but, like, I feel like I need a little extra help there, and I find myself doing it recently when I'm really trying to go after it. It's interesting. Almost all people, naturally, if you if you give a 100 kids a club and just say, sw- swing it and don't give them any information... I'd say 99 of them will pick that lead foot up off the ground. And that's why Bubba Watson does it, because he was never taught to keep that foot on the ground. Yeah, he was one of the guys who kind of bucked that trend. And now everyone's starting to be like, oh, well, maybe Bubba was right all along with his uh, his kind of weird science experiment of a golf swing. (laughs) Why don't we talk? I want to talk about another one real quick, which this is like, 
you know, if you look up like, and again, don't do this. Like if you look up like how to hit a fade or fix a slice or something, like eventually, like if you're researching on Google or somewhere, you're going to come across like the strong and weak grip thing. Do you know what I'm kind of getting at, Adam, here where they say like, oh, well, if you want to hit a a fade, um, you know, use this type of grip. Or if you want to hit a draw, you're going to need a stronger grip. And it's like this formula to create a certain ball flight. Mm -hmm. And the grip technique, meaning like how your hands are oriented on the golf club is really important because that affects like how open and shut it can be throughout the swing, a lot of different things. And what I've learned um, through the years is that grip technique is more of a matchup or needs to be the correct matchup for your swing tendencies. And that's way more nuanced than just assigning like, okay, if you want to hit the fade, hit do the weak grip. If you want to hit a draw, do a strong grip. And I know that might be true for certain golfers, but I just think making that like blanketed statement of saying like, do this for this again, with that intent can lead golfers down the wrong path. I mean, I don't want to get into grip technique general too much because that's a complex topic. But um, what do you think about that? Like in in terms of um, assigning this like certain grip for a certain ball flight? I always go, I always operate with these things on the assumption of if I gave a hundred golfers X change, how would that affect the results? So if I gave a hundred golfers a stronger grip position, it would tend, in most cases, it would tend to produce more of a left shot, not necessarily a draw because that's path dependent as well. And if I gave 100 golfers a weaker grip, the average would shift more to the right. But as you said, it's about matchups because there are other things in place as well. Uh, how much someone rotates their forearms, what lead wrist flexion they have, shaft pitch, things like that all have influenced the club face. And there are also psychological things. You know, If you give me a stronger grip, I if everything else was the same, I probably would hit it left. But somewhere I can feel that that is going left. So if you give me a stronger grip, I can actually hold off the club face, not consciously, but uh, I don't necessarily produce a more left shot. And so you can you can get a, a hooker of the golf ball and weaken their grip. And sometimes they can hook it more because they feel that face is so open in the backswing and then they unconsciously slam the slam the club shut through impact. So there are lots of variables there. I would I would say it's a half truth. I would yeah, say Yeah, it's it's another one of these half truths that I'm trying to avoid with intent, just saying like, Okay, I, I read this, so I should do this with my grip. Like it's it's just not that simple. Like I play I have an incredibly strong grip. Um, my club face is shut at the top of my swing. I'm hitting a draw where my club face has to be open at impact to start the ball right of the target. I, I know for a fact, like if I tried to play with a weak grip, like I, I just couldn't do it. Like I physically could not with my current golf swing do it. It has to be a strong grip. That's just the matchup I've found that works for me. And it's probably a unique one that gives me the confidence to hit the, the, the trajectory and the ball flight that I'm looking for on the golf course is having a strong grip. Um, but I wouldn't tell someone else to do it if they had a different matchup. Yeah, I think it's it's a case of you can't tell everybody to have a single model grip. I think that's probably where the, where the myth or, or what you're alluding to. Um, you can say if you change your grip more to this, it'll probably have this influence on the ball flight. But you get Dustin Johnson with a very strong grip. You've got Bryson DeChambeau with a very weak grip. And, and both are really good you've got webb simpson and dustin johnson both have strong grips yet they have different 
lead wrist positions at the top and different forearm rotations at the bottom. So there are many ways of getting that club face square at the bottom. It's uh, trying to copy one player for just because they're in vogue at the moment is not the best course of action. All right, so no, no, no grip technique fits all. That's another yeah, myth, yeah. I believe. Um, so keep going. You got another one for us? Oh well, that could open up a can of worms. Then nothing, nothing <laughs> fits all, really. Uh, I mean, you have. I, I, I suppose you could summarize this. We've done quite a long, a long time on it already. But we could summarize this as let's just let's just summarize this conversation. The whole, yeah, the whole thing. Ahead. So we've got hit down on it. That is probably bad advice when we're talking about hit down on it as an intention uh, because it's the loft that helps the ball go up in the air. Hitting down on it does not. In fact, most pros are trying to actively pull up on the on the club or they are pulling up on the club. Maybe it's not conscious uh, and their hands are working away from the ball through impact. And that is a good thing. You hit down on it by getting your low point in front of the ball. Not by trying to hit down on it, not by trying to force the hands down or dive bombing your body. When you come to head down, again, try and be in the key word there. Yes, some pros, their heads stay down, but lots of pros, they, they actually raise their head or, or rotate their head. You shouldn't be trying to keep your head down because it can stall your pivot out and create a lot of bad things. Low point, arc depth, face rotation, and... Um, the left arm straight as well that's a key one for me the left arm straightens because of the tug of war between the lead shoulder and the club head the momentum of the club head the left arm is not straight because a player is trying to force it straight and in fact you can have a bent left arm at at impact and play very good golf and in fact almost every pro does in 3d have a bent left arm at impact and uh, what, what else are we summarize in the foot on the ground? We talked about the, the feet on the ground, yeah. Yeah, so both in the, in the follow-through and in the backswing, it's okay to, to have that foot off the ground a little bit. I mean, I would be looking at other movements in the body. If, if someone was saying that's causing issue because they're topping it or they're doing this or that with the ball flight, I would look at to other areas to fix the ball flight, not necessarily forcing someone's foot to stay planted. Yeah, I think the main theme, if I could, I'll give my closing thoughts here, is that um, intent is a powerful thing in the golf swing. And there's a lot of cookie cutter information that has existed for decades and still does to some extent, not to say that we, we have a lot better information about the golf swing than we did in the past. Um, but when you cherry pick these concepts like the head down hitting down on it type things and they get passed around and that's what you're thinking about while you're playing. You know, I think Adam talked about this a lot. Those are, those are byproducts of something else in a pro golfer swing or another great golfer that you might be trying to emulate. They're not necessarily trying to do that. It's happening. So if you take that information and you're looking at this move that they're making and you're saying like, oh, well, I'm going to try that. You're probably not going to have the same type of success because the intent is different. So you know, there's a million different ways to swing a golf club, a million different matchups. The permutations are endless. And like we said in a previous episode, we do think it's a really good idea to take lessons at some point so you can understand the matchups of your swing and put the right work in and have the right intention in your swing rather than just taking these random myths that float around and trying to in insert them in places where they don't fit. It's like taking the, you know, the, the, the square shape and trying to shove it in the, in the circle 
circular hole. Like they usually don't match up well. Um, and there's a ton more myths that we could have gone through, but we're going to wrap it up here. Adam, where can everyone find you? AdamYoungGolf.com. I talk about, I talk a hell of a lot about some of the stuff here with much better visuals. You know, we're talking about low point and what the hands are doing. That's all in the strike plan. I talk about how the body should be working or at least how you should feel it should be working. Just, just a tiny sentence there. Don't necessarily copy pictures because the forces might be completely different. And I explain that the strike plan and and next level golf as well cool and this is john sherman Um, i'm the owner of practical golf you can find me at practical-golf.com i have to say that this conversation was a a little bit out of my wheelhouse since i'm technically not a swing instructor i think i've learned a lot about the golf swing through my own journey and and learning from a lot of great instructors out there but um, i kind of defer to you for a lot of this stuff because you're you're the swing instructor Um, if we do myths on uh, strategy and, and other parts of the game i'd probably feel a lot more comfortable but yeah we just want we just want this information to stop moving around because it's still out there. Um, so thanks for listening to the sweet spot podcast and, uh, we will catch you next time.